Can we just give him a little more applause? That was amazing. This is just me, but I, I think that, that children singing and children prayers are the most effective out of all of them. <laughs> anyway, hey, good morning. My name is Brad. I'm the pastoral intern here. Just always want to give a, a big warm welcome. I want to say thank you for coming and worshiping with us. It means a lot. It means a lot that we can come together and, and celebrate kids worshiping God together. And so just big warm welcome. I always want to go over a few announcements. The first one is, could you please check in for us. You'll see that info right there behind me. We love to know that you were here. Whether this is your first time here or you've been coming for a very long time, it means a lot if you can check in for us. Um, just text newer check or there are little blue slips in the, the seats right in front of you. If you could do that, we love to stay connected. I made this confession in first service and I'll do it again. I have not checked in for the past few weeks. And I, I, make the <gasps> I make the announcements, and then I promptly forget. And one time, I forgot so many times, I got a phone call from someone on staff. They were like, hey, we've noticed you haven't been coming to church the past month. And I'm like, no, you saw me yesterday, come on. And they go, no, you need to check in. So we, we do that because we love to know how you're doing and how we could pray and support each other. So if you could please check in for us, that would be amazing. Uh, this coming up Sunday is Pizza with the Pastors. If you want to be a member of Stetson Baptist or if you want to know what we believe and what we try to do as a church, uh, please sign up for this. Just text pizza to the church number. Uh, this is a great opportunity. It's right after church. We have some great pizza, great fellowship. We talk for maybe about an hour or so about what it means to be a member. If that interests you, Please sign up for that. Fall programming begins August 23rd. That's this Wednesday. I am very excited for this. Wednesday nights are, are a great chance to just come together in small groups and just connect with one another. Uh, phenomenal opportunities that we miss a lot of times here during main worship is just to get personally connected. Please, if you want to be a part of this, you just need to look it up on the church's website. The link is right there. And we'd love to have you there. Last announcement is that Christmas in August support missions with donations is beginning. I, I want to give a quick shout out. This is done by a group here at Stetson called Adults on Missions. Their goal is that it's to raise awareness of missions and to raise support and also to go do missions here locally, but also in the surrounding area as well. I've been a part of some of their events. They're amazing to be a part of. This is one of them where they want to raise support for missionaries overseas, and they call it Christmas in August. If you want to help raise support for that, you just need to text missions. If you want to be involved with the missions, you could probably text that number, and eventually uh, you will find the contact, or if you reach out to me, I will find the contact for you. We'd love to get you plugged in. All right, that's it for our announcements. Let me pray for us, and then if you could turn your attention up there, we're going to have a baptism. God, thank you that you are multi-generational. God, thank you that you love us all equally. Lord, I pray that, that we, we sing your praises, God, that we grow closer to you, God, that we drop down any barriers or walls we might have built so that you can work deeper in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, good morning. 
What a wonderful time and uh, what a great way to, to, for our kids to start our worship service and then for us to have uh, the opportunity to witness Believer's Baptism. Gavin, come stand with me. So this is Gavin Tucker. Uh, Gavin, I had an opportunity to sit down with a, a few months ago and then again uh, a couple of weeks ago just about what God is doing in Gavin's life. So proud of him. Gavin is a sixth grader. And uh, so God is really working in his life, and he is taking that step of baptism. He's been bugging his mom and dad about, when am I going to get baptized? And so, Gavin, today's your day, buddy. All right? <laughs> so stand this way. Gavin, I have one simple question for you. Have you asked Jesus to come into your life and to come into your heart and to be your Lord and Savior? Gavin, it's by your profession of faith in Christ that I baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in a brand new way of living. What a wonderful way to begin our time of worship. I'm so glad that you're here. Let's all stand together and let's worship this morning.
All right, let's sing it out, church. Here we go. This is what living looks like. This is what freedom feels like. This is what heaven sounds like. We praise you. We praise you. This is what living looks like. This is what freedom feels like. This is what heaven sounds like. We praise you. We praise you. This is what living looks like. This is what freedom feels like. This is what heaven sounds like. We praise you. We praise you. This is what living looks like. This is what freedom feels like. This is what heaven sounds like. We praise you. We praise you.
today. Thank you for being a loving God. Thank you for being a gracious God. And we thank you today for all that you are in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please be seated? time of worship we have had today. Um, I am so grateful for what God is doing, and I'm grateful for all of you and uh, just your being here and what God's going to uh, do as we continue to, uh, to chase after him and just desire to see him work in our lives. This morning, I want to invite you to turn to a new book of the Bible. We're going to be looking over the next several weeks at the book of Esther. Um, some of you, uh, if, if you have been around the Bible for very long, you might be saying, why the book of Esther? That's actually a really good question. Um, it, is, uh, it is not an easy book to preach. It is, uh, it, there's a lot of twists and turns. It's really, it's really more of a narrative story than it is like break, broken up into chapters and verses, even though it is broken up into chapters and verses. But here's the reason why I think Esther is really important. It is important because Esther is a story of God's providence and God's control and God's work and God's plan through normal people. And the reason I think that's important is because you know what we all are? We are all normal people. And so the story of Esther in some ways 
kind of through an odd circumstance or maybe with different circumstances or maybe just with a different life or different decisions, the story of Esther can be our story. It's pretty cool to look at the book of Esther because if you read through the entire 10 chapters, we're going to be here for eight weeks, 10 chapters. If you read through the book of Esther, you will never find one mention of God. His name is never mentioned. There's not one prayer that is mentioned. There's not a prophet or a prophetic voice in the book of Esther. There's no miracles in the book of Esther. It is a normal story about normal people, but God is all over the book of Esther. We get to see God use regular things to do his plan. Now, the reason I love that is because in, in our lives today, I mean, we, it's not that we don't have any mention of God. There is a mention of God, but, but we don't see God just show up in our lives, like physically. We, uh, we might see some miracles, but we don't call them miracles. We just call them chance or circumstances or coincidence. Uh, we many times, we many times live our lives, it's a sad statement, but it's true. A lot of times we live our lives without a lot of prayer. And we don't necessarily pray the way that we, that we should. The prophets and the, the, you know, kind of prophetic utterances, thus saith the Lord. We don't hear a lot of that. And so this is such a great story for us to learn from and to present because what we find in the book of Esther are a couple of things. First of all, we find that the people of God are living in a foreign land far away from their home, Israel. That should sound familiar to you if you're a believer. Because as a believer, as a Christian, we currently find ourselves living in a foreign land far away from our home. We don't belong here, we belong there. And so if we put our faith in Jesus, we are living in that same foreign land. Another thing that we see in Esther is we find God's people... I wrote down some words, oppressed, mistreated, disturbed, dismissed, attacked. Does that sound familiar? When we look at the world we live in today, we feel pretty oppressed and mistreated and disturbed and dismissed and attacked. And through a unique set of circumstances, we find that God's people are delivered through what on the surface look like very ordinary means. But what we find as we study the book of Esther is that God is all over it. So today what we're going to do is we're going to just set the stage for the rest of the story. I, I encourage you, I encourage you, if you have any chance to not miss a week of this series, I encourage you to do that. Because we're going to present different parts. And it's a story, it's a 10 chapter story that you don't need to miss parts of. So if you happen to miss a week of church Find our podcast or find our YouTube page and make sure you stay up to date. Or just read the scripture for yourself and just stay in track with where we are. So we're going to look today at Esther chapter 1. You might open your Bibles. If you have the Bible in the rack in front of you, it's on page 410. Uh, so you can kind of know where the scripture is. If you're looking for the book of Esther, it's about midway through the Old Testament, somewhere around there. And so you can find uh, the book of Esther. We're going to look at chapter 1, but 
we're not going to read every bit of it. I'll give you some summaries along the way. But I do want to just kind of start off reading these first few verses because this chapter sets the stage for the whole story of Esther. Listen to what it says. It says, Now, in the days of Ahasuerus, the Ahasuerus who reigned from India to Ethiopia over 127 provinces, In those days when King Ahasuerus sat on his royal throne in Susa, the citadel, in the third year of his reign, he gave a feast for all of his officials and all of his servants. The army of Persia and Media and the nobles and governors of the provinces were before him while he showed the riches of his royal glory and the splendor and pomp of his greatness for many days, 180 days. Ahasuerus. We're going to talk about him a lot. He is the king of Persia. And basically what has happened is he is, uh, he is uh, ruling over the people of Israel along with the nation of Persia, along with what it says are 127 provinces from India to Ethiopia, if you were just to go look at a common today map, you would find that the nation of India is a long way from the nation of Ethiopia, and Ahasuerus ruled over all of that land. Basically, he was the leader of the known world at the time. He was a powerful guy. By the way, for those of you that might be historians, Ahasuerus is a Hebrew name for the Persian king Xerxes, X-E-R-X-E-S. So if any of you are kind of following along, that's just a transliteration of Xerxes into the Hebrew language. I'm not going to get into all the details of that, but you understand. From, from leading the nation of Persia, he has inherited the Jewish people because they were ca- taken captive from Judah. They were taken into captivity by a nation called Babylon. And Babylon was defeated by the Persians. And so the Persians inherited the people of Israel. Ahasuerus's predecessor, his dad, allowed the Israelites to leave. He said, listen, if you want to leave to go rebuild your city, rebuild your nation, and especially rebuild your temple, you're welcome to do that. You can read those stories in the book of Ezra and the book of Nehemiah. And he he said, you're welcome to go. So a lot of them did. A lot of them went back home. But a group of Israelites stayed in Persia by choice for about 50, 60, 70 years. And that's where the book of Esther is written. So for a generation plus, they were allowed to go back home, but they chose not to. And we're going to find that somewhere along the way, they may have say, I wish we would have gone back home because this is not so great. So the Jews that we find here are choosing to live here. Ahasuerus, 127 provinces, he decides to show how powerful he is, how amazing he is. Don't you just, Ahasuerus was that guy. All of you know somebody like this. Ahasuerus was that guy where if you try to tell them a story about something amazing that happened, you can tell that all the time that they're listening to you, they're thinking of a story that they can tell you to one-up your story. And don't you love those kinds of people? Aren't they fun to be around? You're like, check it out. This is amazing. You'll never guess. Oh, yeah? Well, guess what? Guess what I did? Guess what happened to me? And you're like, come on! That was a really good story. 
but yet they seem like they can tell something better, something bigger, something more powerful. That was Ahasuerus. He throws a party, a celebration of him. He throws a, a, hey, everybody, come to my house and celebrate me for 180 days. Now, simple math and simple time would tell you that for six months, he partied. Six months, he partied. And as if that wasn't enough, verse 5 tells us it, that, and when these days, the 180 days were completed, the king gave for all the people present in Susa, the citadel, both great and small, a feast lasting for seven days in the court of the garden of the king's palace. The next few verses describe this feast and all of the plates and the curtains and the uh, chair coverings and the tablecloths and the cups and it describes just how opulent how rich how wealthy Ahasuerus was because he wanted everybody to think not only that he was king but he literally wanted people to think that he was God he was in control he was powerful he was over all This is Ahasuerus, and he is going to be the enemy, the the antagonist, kind of, throughout this story. I'll give you a few little uh, hints along the way, but basically what he does is, is he brings all these people together for seven days. They've been together for 180 days. He brings them together for seven days, and then he decides, I need to make an edict. I need to make a rule. I need to make sure that everybody knows kind of what is expected as a part of being a part of this party, and so he makes a, makes a rule, a royal edict, basically an executive order in the world that we live in today. He issues an executive order, and he says, listen, when you come to the party, the seven-day party, there's going to be lots to eat. There's going to be lots to drink. And when I say there's lots to drink, I'm not talking about lemonade. There's going to be lots to drink and you are welcome to drink as much or as little as you want. You don't have to drink a lot, but you can. You don't have to drink a little, but you can. It's basically up to you. Trust me, there were not many people that took the advantage of drinking as little as they wanted to. Uh, Told by this next statement in verse 10, we see on the seventh day, When the heart of the king was merry with wine. That's a biblical way of saying drunk as a skunk. On the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine, he commanded Mahuman, Biztha, Harbona, Bigtha, and Abigtha, Zethar, and Carcass. I know all of you moms-to-be are looking at those names and thinking, yeah, I like those. That's great. I want to name my child Carcass. The seven eunuchs who served in the presence of King Ahasuerus, he commanded them to bring Queen Vashti before the king with her royal crown in order to show the peoples and the princes her beauty for she was lovely to look at. Really quick pause. Most scholars agree that when he said bring Queen Vashti before the king with her royal crown, he did not describe any other clothes that she should be wearing when she comes. Verse 12, but Queen Vashti refused. Yeah! I kind of like Vashti too. But Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command delivered by the eunuchs. At this, the king became enraged and his anger burned within him. This drunk king makes a really interesting request. He says, hey, seven eunuchs, seven servants, 
go get my wife and have her come because I want everybody to see her and see how amazing she is, see how beautiful she is. I want her to wear her royal crown. Maybe that's all she's supposed to wear, but I want everybody to see her. She's going to be paraded in front of the people because I am amazing, and I have this woman. It's a foolish request on many levels. It shows just how chauvinistic and how much of a jerk Ahasuerus is. It really does. And Vashti surprises everyone, and she says, no, I'm not coming. Listen, nobody really knows why. Nobody knows if she just was having a bad day. Nobody knows if maybe he had mistreated her. Nobody knows if she, was, if she might have been intoxicated herself. Nobody really knows. But I'll tell you, she shows a lot of strength here. She shows a lot, a lot of boldness, a lot of courage. She shows better judgment. I'll, I'll just say, this does not make the I think I'm God king very happy. He thinks that everybody should bow to every whim and fancy that he has, that they should just agree to anything that he says. And he actually pulls a group of people together, a group of men, which is interesting. He pulls a group of men in to talk about it, and they say, listen, if, if the queen can refuse the king, then all of our wives are about to refuse us. This is going to be a terrible situation, king. You've got to do something. Take care of it. So <laughs> he decides to issue a decree. Verse 19, we're going to skip way down. It says, if it please the king, let a royal order, another executive order, another kingly edict. If it please the king, issue a royal order and let it be written among the laws of the Persians and the Medes. Let's make it a law so that it may not be repealed. That Vashti is never again to come before King Ahasuerus. That's really interesting to me because I think that's what she wanted in the first place. Make a rule. You know, let's make sure that we get that lady out of here. And let the king give her royal position to another who is better than she. That might not have been what she had in mind. So when the decree made by the king is proclaimed throughout all his kingdom, for it is vast, all women will give honor to their husbands, high and low alike. Let's make an executive order and put it into law that all the women are supposed to honor their husbands. This advice pleased the king. Well, I'm sure it did. And the princess. And the king did as Memucan proposed. He sent letters to all the royal provinces, to every province in its own script, and to every people in its own language, that every man be master in his own household and speak according to the language of his people. Watch it. (laughs) I knew somebody was going to say something. Careful. Careful. So, you know, it's really interesting what happens, right? This law goes out, and he says, we've got a problem. The queen rejected the king. What's going to happen if all the women reject their husbands? We have got to do something about this. Let's make a law. This will be great. I'm sure everybody will follow the law. And that's what they did. Now, there is a lot to be said. And there is a whole lot more of this story to tell. So let's not, let's not just stop here, even though we're going to stop here. This is, the, this is where we're going to stop for the day. We're just setting the stage. But there is so much for us to actually learn from this. And, and I'm going to give you a little bit of a hint of what's to come. But there is actually a lot to learn right now. Here's the first thing that we can learn from this scripture. The first thing that we can learn is that the world's riches corrupt completely. 
the world's riches, the things that we get in this world, the things that we gain, the things that we earn, the things that we collect, man, they're so, they're so not helpful to us. The world's riches are highly corrupting. Because you see, if all we have to trust and to rely on is me, then I will do a good job of trusting and relying on me. When I have it all figured out, when I've got it all in my hands, when I've got all the riches and all the belongings and all the accolades and all the praise and all the position, then I don't, this is going to sound odd coming from a pastor and I don't want you to edit this out. If I've got all of that, I don't need God. I just need me. I've got all of, I I, I need my education, I need my ability, I need my skill, I need my knowledge, I need my resources. It's all about me. Please don't edit that out. Because sometimes, and I might be talking to somebody in this room, you can't remember the last time something came before you that you had to depend on God for. Because you've got it all figured out. But I'll tell you, That is one of the worst places you could probably ever find yourself. Because at some point, without fail, at a moment, or in a situation, there's going to be something that's going to be put in front of you, and you're going to have to all of a sudden say, I don't know what to do with this. And it's not about your ability not about your strength that what has happened over time is your heart has become corrupt because your focus has been you rather than God the world's riches and what we can hold and what we can gain and what we can collect it is corruptive it will corrupt our heart our soul our mind our walk our life and we will learn in many ways, that we will be like Ahasuerus and we will take God off the throne and we'll crawl our way up there and sit down. That's not a good place to be, friends. Because I promise you, there will come a time where your riches, your knowledge, your skill, your experience will just not be enough. It'll happen. And in that moment, you will say, dear God, I need you. The world's riches, they corrupt completely. Here's the second thing that I think we can learn. And this is where we get a little bit of a, of a forward look. And that is that God is in control of even the world's most powerful. No matter how much power or strength or might or riches or ability or skills or possessions we collect god is still in control he's still sovereign you know if we were to look at the world today if we were to take a look at the the world economy or the world positions today we currently live in what would be known as the greatest country in the world The United States of America. Now, we could have some political debates if you want to, but we're not going to. 
But the reality is we still today live in the nation that is looked up to by really the rest of the world. But make no mistake about it. When we pledge allegiance to that flag, there is one that is greater than that. Our God is so much bigger than our nationalism. Our God is so much bigger than our patriotism. Our faith should be higher than our allegiance to our country. Our trust in God should be higher than our belief in a president. I'll just give you this as an aside. We're about to go through election season, and you're going to hear this from me from time to time. Let's believe in God more than we believe in a White House. Let's make sure that our focus is on who our God is. And let's live in accordance with his will more than we get so laser focused on elections and this and this and that side and that side and this aisle and that aisle. Let's, let's realize who we are and where we are. Because God is in control of even all of the world's most powerful. Let's not miss that which what we see here is that god is actually god is actually using this setting of the stage if queen vashti would not have refused the king there would have not been a book of esther a, a, a news flash or or flash forward esther is going to take vashti's place she's going to be the queen and because she's going to be the queen, she is going to, through a very interesting set of circumstances, and trust me, it's a story you don't want to miss, she's going to save the entire nation of Israel in some really crazy ways. But it all starts right here. By a drunk king making a crazy request of his wife and her saying no. God is in that he uses that i'm not saying he caused all of that i'm saying he uses it to accomplish his purpose which brings me to the point that i want you to think about today and this is a reality for all of us friend when you are struggling when you're in trouble when things aren't going well when it seems like the entire world is against you when you get that diagnosis when you get that phone call, when that email passes across your screen, when the boss calls you in, when all seems lost, when everything seems to go to pot, we must trust that God is in it. We have to trust that God is in it, that God is in the moment. Why do we believe that? Because we're in the moment and he's in us. God is in it. God is in it. God is in it. God is in it. I don't understand it, but God is in it. I don't, it doesn't make sense to me, but God is in it. It's frustrating, but God is in it. This hurts, but God is in it. We have to trust that. And we have to walk through it like that. Now, I'm not saying that we are just supposed to walk around and just do whatever we want and say, well, God is in it, God is in it, God is in it. God is in it, meaning that we want to honor God in those moments. God is in it. 
There's a passage that just, this just reminds me of, and, and many of you will probably know it when I put it up there. It's from the book of Romans chapter 8, verse 28, and it says this, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, I know that in front of a bunch of people that are kind of church people, and you're here, and I'm so glad. And if this is your first time here, man, that is a great verse, Romans 8.28. Can we put it right back up there? Um, Romans 8.28, I just want you to see that. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, that is such a great passage. And I'll tell you what, as a person, and as a pastor, and as a follower of God, and as a Christian, sometimes I look at that and I say, that is one of the most ridiculous ridiculous statements I've ever seen. That's not something you expected to hear from a pastor today. But I look at that and I'm like, like really? All things work together for good? I don't know what your definition of good is, but it might not be the same as mine. If all things work together for good, I got some questions. I've got some, some, we've got some conversation we need to have. I need some explanations because that doesn't always make sense to me. Paul wrote that. And sometimes I want to say, Paul, cool, cool saying. You obviously haven't walked a mile in my shoes. And some of you are sitting here saying the same thing. Neat. Really like that. It's in the Bible. It must be true, but I've got some questions. Because my life is not good. My situation is not good. And I love God, and I feel like I'm called according to his purpose. I'm kind of doing my thing, but it doesn't feel like things are working out. I get it. I've been there, and sometimes I am there. I believe in the truth of this statement, but the only way that I can believe in the truth of this statement is to see things from God's perspective. Sometimes I don't understand. Sometimes it doesn't make sense. When we read Esther chapter 1, it kind of, we kind of get lost a little bit in that. It's an interesting story, but wait a minute, isn't there more to it? So basically, he issues a, a rule, and everybody gets, you know, everybody's supposed to follow it, and the queen gets kicked out. What happens next? All things work together for good. Wait a minute. How do I do that? Well, the reason I do that is because when I go through situations, when I go through difficult times, when I go through trouble, when I go through hard circumstances, when I go through hardship, when I go through discouragement, what do I say? I trust that God is in it. I trust that God is in it. I trust that God is in it. I don't understand it, but I trust that God is in it. I, I, it doesn't make sense to me, but I trust that God is in it. I have to. I have no choice to. Trust that God is in it. Trust that God is in it. Trust that God is in it. Do you know that there's actually a completely different story in the Bible that actually illustrates this probably the most beautifully. Can I just take you to a story that was the worst thing that ever happened on the face of this earth? That's a pretty big statement. What is the worst 
thing that has ever happened on the face of this planet Earth? You may have your own answer. I'll give you the answer. We crucified the Son of God. We murdered Jesus. You say, well, I wasn't there. You were. You were. You were a part of that mob. You were one of the ones shouting crucify him. We killed the son of God and buried him. That's the worst that it's ever gotten. But we have to trust that God is in it. The perfect, spotless, perfect, blameless, perfect lamb of God hung on a cross and was buried and stayed in the grave for three days. Meaning that there was a time that passed that everything was lost. But I trust that God is in it. Why? Because on Easter Sunday, he rose again. And although for those days, nobody could see anything good coming out of this, I trust that God is in it. I trust that God is in it. I trust that God is in it. He's alive. He's alive. He's alive. And because of the resurrection of Jesus, because of his power over death and hell and destruction, because of his power over sin, because he can offer us forgiveness, we can in our lives, no matter our circumstance, we can, regardless of the, of the consequences, regardless of what's happening, regardless of how we see things, we can trust that God is in it. All things work together for good of those that love God and are called according to his purpose because Jesus died on the cross because he was buried and three days later because he rose again. That's why we can trust that God is in it. So this morning, I want Romans eight twenty eight to be true for your life. And it doesn't mean that everything's going to be wrapped up like a bow and your life is going to be, woo, this is so great. Ah, I love my life. Everything's perfect. It does not mean that. What it does mean is that you have a hope. You have an anchor. You have somebody that has gone through death for you. And he simply offers to you forgiveness. Trust that God is in it. And he's in it with you. And he's in it for you. And he's already on the other side of it, working things out for your good because you have given your life to him. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you for the truth of this moment. And God, I just pray for these next few moments that you would allow your Holy Spirit to infiltrate this room and infiltrate the hearts of these people. And God, that you would have your way in us work now as you continue to pray I just want to give you an opportunity some of you are in such a terrible spot right now and I just want to give you an opportunity to say I need to trust that God is in it which means I need to give my life to Jesus that's the first step if you've never done that I would love to pray with you and lead you in a simple prayer of what it means to give your life to Jesus this is your moment This is your time.
if you've never given your life to Jesus, but you would like to do that right now, right now, to believe and trust that Jesus is your Savior, if you want to give your life to Jesus right now, would you just, in the quietness of the moment, do something really bold? Would you just slip your hand up in the air? I want to give my life to Jesus today, right now, right here in this place. This is your moment. I'll give you just a minute. I'm not going to come to you. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out. But if you want to give your life to Jesus right here, right now, would you just slip your hand up in the air? Amen. Anybody else? Yes, amen. Anybody else? I want to give my life to Jesus. That's awesome. So cool. Yes, amen. Anybody else? I want to give my life to Jesus right here, right now. I need to trust that God is in it. That's cool. So good. Yes. Anyone else? Anyone else? Hands all over the room. This is phenomenal. Wow, what an amazing thing. I want to trust that God is in it. I want to give my life to Jesus right now. I need him. Yes, anybody else? If you raised your hand, I just want to lead you in a simple prayer. It's not the words of this prayer. It's nothing magical. But I just want to give you the words to say, Jesus, come into my life and come into my heart. As a matter of fact, just in the room, we don't believe anybody should pray alone, so we're all going to pray right with you. Everybody in the room, would you just repeat these words after me? Dear Jesus, I come to you as sinner. I need you in my life. Jesus, come into my heart. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Forgive me of my sins. And help me to live for you from this point on. In your name I pray, amen and amen. Church, would you give the Lord a big round of applause? Isn't it awesome? Before we, uh, before we close with our final song, I just want to say, if you raised your hand today and you gave your life to Jesus, at the end of this time, at the end of this song, we're going to be down here at the front. We would love, love, love to talk with you. Uh, we're not going not gonna to try to pull you down, not going to call your name, but we'd love to talk with you about what you just did. And we'd love to give you kind of that next step of what it means to follow Jesus. So if you're here, you raised your hand, you prayed that prayer, you gave your life to Jesus today, you've made the best decision you could ever make in your entire life. And we would love to talk with you about what God is doing in your life and help you to take that first step as a brand new believer in Jesus. It's been a great day. Let's stand together and let's sing this closing song. I won't forget the wonder of how you brought deliverance, the exodus of my heart. You found me, you freed me, held back the waters for my release. Oh, Yahweh, you're the God who fights for me, Lord of every victory, hallelujah, hallelujah. You have torn apart the sea, you have led me through the deep, hallelujah, hallelujah. Cloud by day 
is a sign that you are with me. The fire by night is the guiding light to my feet. You found me, you freed me, held back the waters for my release. Oh, Yahweh. Come on, church. You're the God who fights for me. Church, hallelujah. You have torn. 